We have a memory verse because Jesus actually gave us a good priority list, and, and God gave us a priority list with the Ten Commandments, and Jesus uh, pretty much summed those up into two commandments. Mark 12, 30, read it good and strong, ready, go. Jesus said the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus summed it up into two, love God, love people. And then with the Ten Commandments, the first four are about loving God. The last six are about how to love people. So it's basically the same thing. Today in part three, four your notes, we're going to talk about this. Take God everywhere. Take God everywhere. God is not just for Sunday mornings. Some people think Sundays are for Jesus and football. And that's about it. And sometimes it's football and then Jesus. But anyway. Uh, God is not just for times when you're in trouble. A lot of Christians, if their life is going well, they don't really bring God with them everywhere unless somebody gets a cancer report or unless somebody loses a job or unless there's a problem in the marriage, then they invite God in that situation. But God wants to be a part of everything we do every single day. He wants to go with you to school. He wants to go with you to work. He wants to go with you in your home behind closed doors where no one can see anything except for God. He wants to be there. Uh, he doesn't want to just be in your life when you're making good decisions. He also wants to be in your life when you're making bad decisions. And a lot of times, if you're like me, when you're making bad choices, you try to kind of wait a day or two till you start making better choices, and then you bring God in. But God wants to be a part of even your bad choices because he loves you, and he wants to help you, and he wants to bring that guilt out of your heart and, and give you his forgiveness. So God wants to be a part of everything we do. But here's the key. He will only be a part of the areas of our life that we invite him to be a part of. He's not a bully. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to force himself into your marriage. He's not going to force himself into your school time. He's not going to force himself into your workout time. He's only going to be a part of the areas you invite him to. Proverbs 3, 6 says, Acknowledge the Lord in everything you do, and he will direct your paths. Imagine if the only time I ever called on my wife is if I needed sex, or food, or that's about it really I can think of. But anyway, let's think some more food. But anyway, let's think if that's the only time I ever called on her, what kind of relationship would that be when I needed something? Other than that, I didn't want to see her, didn't want to spend time with her. I'm doing this, I'm not myself, I'm on my own. That's how it is for a lot of Christians in God, right? We wait till Sunday morning to think about them and pray a little bit. Maybe it's only when you bless your food. Maybe that's the only time you ever really ask God to be a part of anything is when you're eating. God wants to be a part of everything we do. Now, here's what I want to teach you today. Okay? This be a, my, my introduction is as long as my first three points. Okay, So stay with me. I promise you're not going to. It's going to be really, really great. Uh, the omnipresence of God, and we put it on the screen, teaches us that God is everywhere. In fact, it was either Jonah or David said, I can even go to hell and God's there. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But the manifest presence of God is what we want in our lives every single day. In other words, uh, we know that God manifests himself here. There's faith, wisdom, healing, peace, joy, all in this room. But we want that every day of the week, not just on Sunday mornings. We want God to manifest himself <clears throat> in ways, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to say it anyway, in ways that feel good. We want to feel God every day. Now, the truth is, God will manifest himself in ways that don't feel good, but is still good. For instance, Jonah turned his back on God. God gets a whale and swallows Jonah. That was God manifesting himself in a way that didn't feel good, but it was still good because it got Jonah where he needed to go. Are you with me? Yeah. 
I'll give you another example. Whenever um, Saul was on his horse and Jesus blinded him and he was blind for three days, got knocked off his horse, God manifested himself in a good way. It just didn't feel good. It knocked him off his horse, but it was good because it turned Saul to Paul and he wrote half the New Testament. Okay? So God will still manifest himself in your life. We just want him to manifest himself in ways that feel good to us. And here's what I mean. We want to experience every day the voice of God. We want to experience the healing of God. We want to experience the provision, the comfort, the joy. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm going to teach you today in my three points when we finally get there how to manifest God every single day in ways that actually feel good in your life, not just on Sunday morning, okay? Before I get to my three points, let me prove why we're going this direction. Um, <clears throat> the third commandment, which we're in part three, is this. In Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take. Remember, the title of the sermon is Take God Everywhere. And it says here, don't take. The name of the Lord. It doesn't even say God, and I'll explain why. It says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name, who brings his name with him in vain. You're going to be guilty. He's not going to hold you guiltless if you take the name of the Lord in vain. Okay, so um, let's start with understanding the name of the Lord. What's it talk? Is it talking about the name Jesus? Is it talking about the name God, G-O-D, which we say in English? Um, is it talking about Jehovah? Is it talking about Yahweh? What's it talking about? Whenever the commandments were given, the name of the God of God at the time was four Hebrew letters. And I'll put it on the screen here. Um, in Hebrew at the time, there were no vowels. There were only consonants. And the four letters were Y-H-V-H or yod Hey vav Hey. The name of God at the time was yod Hey vav Hey. And um, it's easy to remember because you can think, you know, it's fun to worship the Y-H-V-H. Okay, well, that's not the best way to remember it, but anyway. <clears throat> so, uh, uh, in the 13th century, um, the 13th century, the, the uh, Catholic scholars began to add vowels to the Hebrew language. And when they did, because they were pronouncing the name of God, Yahweh, even though there were no vowels, it was just Y-H-P-H, yod heh vav And uh, by the way, in Greek, and I know how much you just love this, uh, it's called the Tetragrammaton. And so the name of God, the Tetragrammaton, actually translates the four letters. It was the four letters. But anyway, in Hebrew. So it turned into Yahweh after they started adding vowels into it. And then there was no W in the Hebrew language, so they began to take a V and turn it into a W. And that's when it got to the Y-H-W-E-H. -E and then later on, the Y got turned into a J, and it got turned into Jehovah. So the point of the matter is this. Whether it's Yahweh, Jehovah, God, Jesus, what comforter, you know, peace, it, it's all the name of God. So understand that. Whether you say God, see, we're very arrogant sometimes to think, well, you know, God spoke English back then, and Moses, and they all called him God. The word God's not in the Bible, G-O-D. That's an English word that we say. Whether you say God, whether you say Jehovah, whether you say Jesus, it's all the same thing. The point is, don't take it in vain. Now, let me show you this. Jehovah Yahweh, which is the exact same name, it means he will be, he is, he was, he who caused existence. And it comes from when Moses said, who, who do I tell them you are? And God said to him in Exodus 3, 14, you tell them, I am that I am. I am. I'm everything. I am existence. I am breath. I am, I am power. You can call me Jehovah. You can call me Yahweh. I am that I am. Now, let me explain this. The name of God... It is the only name in the universe that is who he is and what he is. It's the only name in the universe, regardless of what name you use, that is an adjective and a noun. In other words, God is love, the Bible says. That's his name, and that's who he is, that's what he does. He is comfort. You can call him my comfort. 
or my comforter. That's his name. It's who he is and it's what he does. It, it, it'd be similar as if, if my name was uh, preacher, piano player, husband, father, handsome, funny. And, you're, and I'm calling to make reservations at a restaurant. And it's like, oh, okay, what's the name under? Oh, it's under piano player, preacher, handsome, funny, pastor, father. I can say, it, it, it's, I can tell you how handsome. Funny, it's funny, okay? If my name was funny, it's, it's not only who I am, it's what I am. So when you, when you damn G-O-D, when you damn God, you're not just damning God. You're damning comfort in your life. You're damning provision. You're damning uh, peace. Wisdom. He is that he is. He is existence. He's everything. You're breathing because of him. So when you take it in vain, you're taking your breath in vain. You're, I don't need you. I don't need You're damning the very fact that your heart is beating. Are you with me? Let me give you some more examples. Um, when Jesus taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he said in Matthew 6, 9, Our Father, hallowed be thy. He didn't say you're hallowed. He said hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Your name is set apart. Let me read some other scriptures that I know you know that you never thought of. Proverbs 18, 10. The name of the Lord. Now, we know the Lord's a strong tower, but that's not what it says. It says his name is a strong. How can it say that? Because his name is who he is, what he is, what he does, how he is. His name is, is him. He is his name. I'm going to use some more. Psalms 27. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of God. John 17, 6, Jesus said, I've manifested, which is what we're trying to get to today. I've manifested your name to the many you give me. Philippians 2, 9, God gave him the name that is above every other name set apart from every name. Romans 10, 13. And I know you know this. Whoever calls on God, it doesn't say call on God. You'll be saved if you call on God. That's not what it says. It says whoever calls on the name of the Lord. Why is that? Because his name is Savior. He saves. He's Savior. It's the same thing. Are you with me? Okay. His name is synonymous with everything he does and everything that he is. And so in Leviticus 19.12, it says, you shall, I'm getting to a really good point you're going to love. You shall not swear falsely by my name, nor shall you profane the name of God. Profane is where we get the, the root word of the word profanity. Okay? Here's why it says this. Israel went into exile in 594 B.C. Because they began to take the name of the Lord their God in vain, profane the name of the Lord. So in 600 BC, all Jews all over the place, they stopped saying the name of God in fear that they would ever say it in a common, um, in, a, in, a, in, a profane, in a profane way. They didn't even want to say the name of God. In fact, I have a friend who's a Jew, and she's a traveling nurse, and when she's in Myrtle Beach, she comes to church here. And uh, when she texts me or writes me, at the end of every email or text, she says this, and I'll put it on the screen. She says, may G slash D bless you. She won't even type the name of God because she doesn't want to take a chance that she's going to misuse the very thing that causes her heart to beat. The very thing that gets her into heaven. The very thing that can heal her body and heal her soul and her life. She doesn't even want to type it wrong. That's how much she cares for the name of God. Now, here's the thing. When Israel went into exile, and I, and I know when I say words like that, some people don't understand. So I, I kind of want to modernize it. Imagine if in America we lost everything we had. Okay, We lost everything. Imagine there was no internet today. All of a sudden, no internet, no electricity, no running water, 
Um, there were there were no policemen. There were we lost the order of everything we have. Every bank closed down, burned to the ground. Money was nothing. Imagine just like that, we lost everything. And imagine the reason we lost it is because we kept misusing the name of God. The very thing that gave us all of this, and we just took it for vain. No big deal. I only need you if I'm sick. I only need you if I'm hurting. Other than that, I'll see you on Sunday morning. Imagine we lost everything because of that. So the Jews, they said, we don't even want to say, we don't ever want this to happen to us again. Because they lost everything in 594 B.C. Now, the reason they lost it all is not, they, they did not profane the name of God by verbalizing it the wrong way. What happened was, they profaned the name of God by when they went into these new lands. They had the name of God tattooed on their soul. The whole world knew if you're an Israelite, you're a child of God. You belong to God. And once they started intermingling in these lands, they profaned God by taking him with them. But yet you could not tell a difference between them and everybody else in the land. They started acting the same, looking the same. Let me tell you this. When they went on Facebook, their Facebook page looked exactly like people who didn't know God. But they said they were children of God. They didn't take God there. When they when they went on Instagram, they were and they took they had just as many selfies, selfish. They had just as many selfies as everybody else in the land who was not a child of God. Yet they claimed that God was with them, but they didn't take God on Instagram. When they went to work. They had the same less amount of character. They gossiped about the boss, and they, they were slack, just like everybody else. They didn't bring God to work. But they said they were children of God. When, when they were at home, they treated their spouse the same way that people who didn't know God treated their spouse. But they said they were children of God. Do you see how they profane the name of God? They just looked like everybody else. And I'll show you the scripture where this happened. In Ezekiel 36, 20, it says this. The people profaned or disgraced my holy name. I have concern for my holy name, which Israel had profaned wherever they went. They said they took God with them everywhere, but they never manifested his love to strangers. They never manifested their giving of the giving of God whenever somebody was in need. They didn't manifest the right words when they were around their friends. They talked just like everybody else, but they had God tattooed on their soul. And God said, you, you profaned my name. You took my name in vain. You took your healing and your provision and your comfort and your wisdom and your peace and your restoration. You took it all in vain. You said you took me everywhere, but you didn't. You only used me when you needed something. Do you, do you understand what happened? Exodus 27 to the scripture, I read it earlier. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here's what take means in Hebrew. To carry, to bear, or to take up. Here's what vain means. And I need you to remember this definition of vain for the last five minutes of the sermon. <laughs> Useless, self-centered, conceited, and worthless. You said you took me everywhere, but you didn't. My name was useless to you unless you needed something. My, my name, you were so self-centered. It was all about you. It wasn't anything about me. I, I, I want to give you an example before I give you my three points. Uh, if you ever have a, a loved one who served in the armed forces and maybe they died or they gave their life for our country, do you know anybody like that? I'll show of hands. Anyone? Okay. How does it make you feel when someone burns our flag? And the, they're burning the flag that represents these people who gave their life so they could be free, and in their freedom they burn flag? How does that make you feel? Okay, how does it make you feel? <clears throat> When the rainbow that God gave us 
that represents the fact, in spite of all of our pride, he has the right to destroy our planet, but he won't do it again, Amen. even though we're prideful. And to prove it, he gives us a rainbow, and the people wear that rainbow as a sign of pride. How does that make you feel? How do you think it makes God feel? Yeah, God, I love you. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in 20 years. That, oh, God, on Sunday, we just love you so much. Yeah, we're going to learn about you. Monday through Saturday, I'll do what I want to do. We're, we're taking, we're taking the name of God in vain. Okay? So, <clears throat> three points for you today. They all start with the letter S. And these three points are, are for you to understand how to manifest God everywhere you go every single day of your life. Okay? So that God will do manifest himself in ways that actually feel good. Okay, so here, number one is this. And you'll notice something about these three points. It's what we do on Sunday morning. You can do it every day. Number one is this, Scripture. Scripture, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It always starts with Scripture. And I'm talking to the men because I know ladies are so spiritual. They can read a whole chapter in the Bible and, you know, just meditate on it for hours. Men, just get one proverb and just take it with you all day. When you wake up, just get here, but just get one proverb and just meditate on it the rest of the day. When I first started pastoring, I didn't know any scripture. And so I typed a bunch of scripture, that probably 100, 200, and I taped them everywhere. I had 12 of them on the inside of my car, had them on my books, my library, my, on my piano. I had five of them. So everywhere I went, I would see the word of God. And we don't do this for God because he already knows the scripture. We do it to build our faith. So when we get to point number two and three, then we can call God into the mix. He always shows up where his word is. Um, years ago, I had a friend who, who pastored a, a church of thousands of people. Very popular pastor. And uh, we were good friends. And he was maybe he's 20, 30 years older than me. And I invited him to come speak for me one Sunday. And I was so excited. He was willing to take off from his huge church and come and preach. And it just meant so much to me. And he, and he came up and he preached a sermon. And I wanted to throw up because he did not use one single scripture. And I thought, oh my gosh. And we got in a, we got in a fight behind the scenes. I was like, well, what you do? I'm going to we got to feed this the word. He said, no, I said a bunch of good stuff. I don't care about good stuff. I need to hear the word of God. That's what we're here for. If I want to hear good stuff, I'll watch Dr. Phil. <laughs> and I'm really feeling trippy. I'll watch Oprah, you know? Like, come on. I need the word of God, right? Matthew 6, 35 says this. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Ephesians 5, 26. The cleanse yourself with the water of the word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed. All through the Bible, you see three things about scripture. It is bread, it is water, and it is air. All through the Bible. Now, how long can your physical body go without bread, water, and air? Not very long. Let me just put it this way. You can't just get bread, water, and air on Sunday morning and think you're going to be okay. Amen. Your spirit is malnourished and dehydrated. you got to feed yourself every single day, right? Every single day. Okay, so I want to tell you a story. True story. Okay, during the Vietnam War, there was an, and I, I preached hundreds of sermons on the word, so we have them all back there, but I thought I'd take the time for this one to tell you. One of my favorite stories. During the Vietnam War, there was an interpreter who would work with the military chaplains of America. He was 17 years old. His name was Hen Pham, H-E-N-F-A-M. Thousands of people uh, got saved through him interpreting for ministers all through Vietnam. He was able to witness all this. You know, going just by saying whatever the pastor would say. You know, thousands of people got saved. He loved it. When Vietnam fell, Pham was arrested and he was accused of working with the CIA. He said, I've never worked with the CIA. They said, your English is too good. He said, it's not an English interpreter. They didn't believe him, so they put him in prison, a prison camp. He wasn't allowed to have anything in English to read. All they had was things in Vietnamese and French. 
Every single day, these officers would spend hour after hour pounding into his head, there is no God. There is no hope. He's not going to get you out of here. You're going to die in this prison camp. Finally, one day, Hen decided to live as if there was no God. No hope, no desire to serve God, no more praying for God to help him. The day he made that decision, he was assigned to clean the latrines. That's the common uh, outhouse that they had there. He said in this story, you've never seen a latrine like this. You had to wrap uh, cloths all over your face, several layers, just to be able to go in there to clean out the toilets, so to speak. He said, as I was mopping up and cleaning, I looked in one of the buckets, and I saw a piece of paper with words in English. He said, I quickly washed it off and put it in my pocket. Everyone went to sleep that night, and I waited, and I took out the piece of paper along with a flashlight. He said, the top of the paper said, Romans chapter 8. That night, I read Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love God. He said, I started crying. God, today I woke up and said, I've never prayed to you again. Now I'm holding the one verse in my hand that I needed more than anything else. I got on my knees and I begged God for forgiveness. I woke up the next morning I went to the commanding officer and I said, can I clean the latrines again today? They said, okay, sure. So he said, I picked up pages from the New Testament every single day. Turns out the commanding officer was given an English Bible, and he couldn't speak English and didn't care about the Bible anyway. So he'd tear the pages out every day and use it as toilet paper and throw it into the bin. Ken said, I washed it off, I put it in my pocket, and every night I'd have a devotion. <laughs> he said, finally, one day through a series of very unusual circumstances, miraculously, he was released. He got 52 people together, and they decided to build a boat and try to escape. Just a few days before the boat was finished, four Viet Cong came knocking on the hut door. They said, are you trying to escape? Hen said, no, I, I promise. They said, are you telling us the truth? Yes, I'm telling you the truth. They turned around and left. Hen slapped his forehead. He said, God, I'm so sorry. Once again, I asked you for help only to do the wrong thing and lie. God, if you want me to tell them the truth, have them come back and ask me again before we escape. On the day they were set to escape, those four soldiers came back, armed with guns this time. They broke into the hut. They grabbed him by the neck, ran him up against the wall, and said, you're trying to escape, aren't you? He said, yes, we are. There's 53 of us. We've built a boat, and we're planning to escape in a few hours. Are you going to kill us? The four soldiers said, no, we want to go with you. <laughs> These four Viet Cong came with us. He said, on the high seas, there were so many times the boat would have capsized, but these four men were the best mariners anyone could have prayed for. He said, they brought us safely to Thailand, where I became a refugee. I met my wife. I made it to the U.S. I went to seminary, and I became a pastor. <laughs> Here's why. Isaiah 55, 11, his word, let me say this way, his word will always manifest. If you ever want to feel God in your house, in your car, at home, at work, just pull out the word. It will always accomplish something, the Bible says. It will never return void. It will cause humility to be birthed in your spirit. It will give you wisdom. The Bible says it will heal you. The word of God can heal you. Just pull out the word. Number two is this. Sing. You get some scripture and then you sing. I know you're not going to like this, but let me prove it to you, okay? Psalm 61.8. So I will sing praise to, what does it say? Your name. What? Wait, I thought we need to praise God. It says praise his name. It's who he is. 
Psalms 44, 8, in God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. Psalms 100, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, be thankful in him and bless his name. Well, next question. If you love somebody, do you express it? Yes or no? Yes. You always express it. Don't tell me you love someone and you never tell them you love them. Well, you know, the day we got married, I told her, and that should have been enough for her. You know, she's been asking me for years. I said, just go back to her. That's what a lot of Christians do on the day they get saved. Jesus, I love you. I'm so grateful. You're so amazing. Thank you so much for providing a way for me and my family to live forever with you. Thank you. And the rest of their life, well, I told them the day I got saved. I told them, you know, all through the Bible it says the way you express your love to him is to sing and, and to praise and to worship and to bless his name. Here's why. When you love someone, you don't just give them what you want. You give them what they want, what they need to know that you love them. When you sing, it humbles yourself. See, a lot of the reason a lot of y'all don't sing, especially in praise and worship, is because you're prideful. And, and But when you love, why would you be embarrassed to tell someone that you love them? Put on worship music, sing in your car, go in your bathroom, sing in the shower. Just sing. Just sing to God. If you can't think of anything else to sing about, sing about amazing grace that saved a wretch like you. And me, and you know, we give people the opportunity when they join the church to, to make a video. And a lot of people don't like to do a video. But I want you to think about it like this. It's not about you. It's about God. Yeah. It's about you telling them. We're giving you 60 seconds to tell everybody what God has done for you. Don't ever back away from that. Psalms 22, 3, watch this. He inhabits, he manifests himself in the praises yeah. of his people. If you want God to show up into your house, sing, sing, and sing some more. Uh, Acts 16.25, watch this. At midnight, Paul and Silas sang praises to God while other prisoners listened. Suddenly, there was an earthquake, chains fell off. St. Chronicles 20.21, order the singers to march out front and praise the Lord. As soon as they shouted praise, the enemy got confused and killed each other. Jeremiah 30.19, out of them comes songs of praise, and then I'll manifest myself by blessing them and increasing them. God always shows up where there's worship. That's why we do it on Sunday morning. We don't just do it because we're good at it or we sound good or we like the song. We do it because we love God. Elijah had a famine in his life. No rain for three and a half years. First Kings 18.42. He went to the top of Mount Carmel and worshipped. A few minutes later, it got cloudy and windy and rain poured down. You know the way rain is formed? It's not formed in the sky. It actually starts on the ground. The sun shines onto the ground, and the, the mist or the vapors of the water that's on the earth go up. And once they get full enough, they form a cloud, and then finally the cloud empties out, and the rain comes back down. In other words, it doesn't start up here. It starts down here. The rain are the blessings from God, but the vapors are the worship and the praise and the thanksgiving and the singing. And the more you worship, the more you sing, the more you praise the more rain falls down on your life. See, some of y'all, y'all are as dry as can be. You get a little bit of water on Sunday, and the rest of the week you're struggling, you know, in the desert. If you want more rain in your life, whatever you send up is what's going to come back down. Um, I was reading, I found a, a true story. This um, American Indian tribe, many, many years ago, uh, they were known for their rain dances. Anytime there was no rain, they would start dancing, and before the dance was over, it would rain. It got so popular, all the neighboring tribes, um, when they needed water, they began to find and seek out this one tribe, and they would pay them, you know, food, clothing, whatever it was, animals, uh, for them to send their dance team over to where they lived at and tell the dance team, you need to dance, because when you dance, it, it rains. 
All the neighboring tribes were doing this with this one tribe. It got so popular, finally some scientists heard about it. And they traveled a long distance, and they met with people, and they finally found this particular tribe. And uh, they went to the tribal leader, and they said, listen, we have to understand how this works scientifically. How is it that every time you dance, it ends up raining? And they gave him a lot of money, food, animals, and finally the, the tribal leader whispered to the scientist, he said, easy, we just keep dancing until it rains. <laughs> in other words, all these other tribes thought there was something special. There was, they just kept on dancing. They're like, okay, it's been three days, four days, five days, tell the see it happen, because we danced, you know. Here's the point. You just gotta keep on singing, keep on worshiping, keep on praising, and I promise, sooner, I promise. The little woman says, the word promises, it will rain in your life and blessing, and God will manifest himself. Psalms 113, verse 3, from sunrise to sunset, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Okay, point number three, serve. You got to serve, and I hate to be hard on some of y'all, but some of y'all, I'm going to use the words we saw earlier for vain, useless, self-centered, conceited, and worthless. There's so many people, they think they're so spiritual because they do the scripture and they do the singing and worshiping, but then they sit their butts in a chair all week long and don't help anybody else. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. Uh, Acts 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord, worshiping and serving, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He manifested with a voice. John 21, 15, 17, he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? They're done. Feed my sheep. Uh, John 13, 14, Jesus said, I've washed your feet. And you think he would say, hey, I washed your feet. Now you get down on your knees and you wash mine. He did. I washed your feet. Now you wash somebody else's. Um, so you, the, the word, imagine if, you know, my wife's texting me and emailing me, right? So first I start by reading that, right? That's the word of God. Then I affirm her. You know, we, we, we sing, we worship God, right? But then when you really love someone, you have an intimate relationship with them, whatever they're passionate about, you want to help fulfill that passion for them. And honestly, that's what marriage is all about, is helping the other person fulfill their destiny and fulfill the passions God's put in their heart. If you want to help the marriage, you always focus on how can I make your dreams come true, right? Okay, Jesus' dream is people. His passion is people. His heart is people. So don't tell me you serve Jesus and you don't serve people. I, there's people that are, they act like they're so spiritual. Oh, I just serve Jesus every day. Oh, what have you done? Oh, I just prayed and worshiped. No, 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 no. Jesus says if you love me, you'll do something for people, right? James 1.27, pure religion is this in the sight of God. Caring for orphans and widows. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have to serve others. There's 1,800 scriptures I could have used that say, get your butt up and do something for somebody else. <laughs> Self-centered people think this, as long as my life is okay, then I don't, I don't, I don't count doing things. As long as I'm happy, I'm good. It's not about you. Right. If, if you die, do you want people to, when you die at your funeral, to think, oh, yeah, we'll miss her, we'll see you next. Or do you want people to think, man, they made my life better. They helped my dreams come true. Man, they were so encouraging. They were such a giver. They just, oh, that's how we want people to talk about us, right? We want them to miss us because we poured into them. First Chronicles 28 9, serve God with a willing heart and mind. What if my wife said, okay, I'll spend time with you tonight. I'm married to you, so I guess I have to. Or if my kids on my birthday said, oh, Dad, your mom made us buy you a present. Here you go. We didn't want to, but we had to. No, you want somebody that wants to be with you, that's passionate about you. Right? That's what we want. First Corinthians 12, 6, they're different 
ways for believers to serve, for each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And I know some of you are thinking this. Man, John Paul, if you knew my addictions and all that I'm battling, you know that after I get through that, then I'll be better. I'll be better to help serve. But here's the thing. Once you get through the problem you're going through now, there's going to be another one. And then once you get to that, there's going to be another one. And then that, there's going to be another one. Trust me. Listen, I got problems every single day of my life. It can't stop me from serving other people. Don't, don't, let, don't let any excuse, any addiction, any problem, guilt, all of it. I promise if you want to manifest Jesus, do something for somebody else. Um, I'll close with this story. I love it. It's written many, many years ago. Ruth, she went to her mailbox, and there was only one letter. She picked it up. She looked at it before realizing there was no stamp, no postmark, only her name and address. But she read it. It said, Dear Ruth, I'm going to be in your neighborhood later today. I'd like to stop by for a visit. Love always. Jesus. Her hands started shaking. She placed the letter on the table. Why would the Lord want to visit me? I'm nobody special. I don't have anything to offer. With that thought, she realized, I really don't have anything to offer. My cabinets are empty. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? I'll run down to the store. I'll buy something for dinner to serve Jesus. She reached in her purse. This was many years ago. She counted out its contents. $5.40 to last her until Monday. She said, well, I guess I can get some bread, some cold cuts at least. You know, so she threw on her coat and hurried out the door. A loaf of bread, a half a pound of sliced turkey, and a carton of milk left Ruth with a grand total of 12 cents to last her until Monday. Nonetheless, she felt good and headed home with her meager offerings tucked under her arm. As she walked out of the store, she heard a voice say, Hey, lady, can, can, you, can you help us? Ruth had been so absorbed in her dinner plans, she didn't even notice the two figures huddled together in the alleyway. It was a man and a woman, both of them dressed in a little more than rags. Look, lady, I don't have a job. I'm trying my best. And me and my wife, we've been out here in the street. It's getting cold. We're kind of hungry. Do you have anything that you could give us to help us? We'd really appreciate it. Ruth looked at both of them, and they were very dirty. They smelled bad. And frankly, she was sure that they could get some kind of work if they really wanted to. She said, sir, I'd love to help you, but I'm a poor woman myself. All I have is a few cold cuts and some bread, and I have a very important guest coming for dinner tonight, and I was planning on serving that to him. They said, okay, we understand. Thanks anyway. The man put his arm around the woman's shoulders, and they started to head back into the alley. As Ruth watched them leave, she felt a very familiar tug in her heart. She said, sir, wait a minute. The couple stopped and turned around. Ruth ran down the alley after them. She said, look, why don't you just take this food, and I'll figure something else out for my guests. She handed the man her grocery bag. They thanked her very much. The man's wife said, oh, this is all we thank you. We can pray for this. Thank you so much. And Ruth could see that she was shivering. So she said, you know, I got another coat at home, too. Here, why don't you take this one? Ruth unbuttoned her jacket, slipped it over the woman's shoulders. Then smiling, they turned and walked back into the alley. Ruth left without her coat, without her food, and nothing to serve her guests. She was very cold by the time she reached her front door and very worried as well. The Lord was coming to visit me. She didn't know anything she could give me. She fumbled through her purse for the door key as she noticed another envelope in her mailbox. So that's odd. The mailman usually doesn't come twice in one day. She took the envelope out of the box and opened it. It said, Dear Ruth, 
It was so good to see you earlier. Thank you for the lovely meal and for the beautiful coat. Love always, Jesus. <laughs> Listen, when you do something for people, you're doing it for Jesus. When you serve the church, you're serving Jesus. When you give, you're giving to Jesus. He loves people more than anything else. Take him everywhere you go. Take him to school. Take him to work. Get your scripture. Worship a little bit. And then serve somebody. And I promise you will see him manifest himself in ways you never experienced in your life. And he'll do it every single day for you. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay.